our podcast this week, Figo Mortensen and Noel Clark join our fellowship, one of them literally, as you'll see. Plus usual news and nonsense in the movie podcast. I didn't have time to write an intro this morning because we were too busy counting the number of people Jack Reacher kills in Gone Tomorrow. True story. Is that right? True story. Gotta have a hobby. Answers eight, by the way. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast, sponsored by those high flyers at American Airlines, the world's largest airline. With two flights a day from Heathrow to LAX on its new planes, American Airlines is the preferred airline of the entertainment industry. And with 260 movies and 240 TV shows available on demand on board, that's enough content to fly around the world. We've checked this 26 times. So give it a go. Give it a go. It's the best way to catch up an American horror story. All six of them. Um, and of course, American Airlines are not just sponsoring this podcast. No, 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 no. They've really taken off. See what it did there? By becoming the headline sponsor of Empire Live, our incredibly exciting entertainment extravaganza, which is coming to the O2 London from September 23rd to 25th. Uh, more to come on that one later, but tickets are available on empirelive.com. Okay, this week I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Say hello to Phil DeSemlian, our host guru. Yeah, hi. And Johnny Pyle. Hello. And for the first time ever... Really excited about this. Delighted to say that one of our guests this week will actually be joining us for most of the show. So don't think of him as the star, writer and director of Brotherhood. Think of him as part of the pod team. Noel Clark. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Thank you for having me, guys. Uh, no, 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 we're delighted to have you. Uh, no, not you. least because uh, you were meant to be on last week's show and we somehow deleted the interview. Deleted the whole yeah, film. Yeah. Which is only the third time it's happened in podcast history. In podcast history, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, I always like to think there's some sort of conspiracy. So, I, I, but because it's you, I, I believe there isn't. You know. It's general incompetence. No, yeah. <laughs> it seems more credible. Yeah, because it's you, I think it's just incompetence. Actually, yeah. yeah no, I, I accidentally pressed the big red button. Yeah. Said, what is this? The doing? one that said, "Do not press." <laughs> Do not press yeah, the big okay, red button. Yeah, I thought it was that one. Um, but how are you? I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm sort of uh, basking a little bit in the. Uh, Reflective glow of box office box office success. I know it it's a it's a good thing actually that you're back in because obviously Brotherhood opened over the weekend and yeah. did gangbusters. Yeah, it did. It did very well. I think uh, a lot of people didn't quite expect it. You know, with the genre being dead and everything, you know, exploited to death by a company that shall remain nameless and having been dead <laughs> can, for some time. You can Google that company's name if you if you want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rhymes with Slivova. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, now, obviously, uh, it's not that I'm trying to revive it. I was just making the film that I thought I, I needed to make at this part of my life, in yeah. the age I'm at. Eight years down the line. Eight years down the line, adulthood. three kids later. You know, fatter, balder. The time was right. Yeah, it was just right. <laughs> but why brotherhood? Why not fatherhood, for example? Because it's a... Can I swear on this podcast? Of course you can. Oh, because it's a shit name. <laughs> and it reminds me of a Steve Martin film. Uh-huh. And I just felt like he would turn up in the movie and I didn't want that. <laughs> and there's a, there's a double Brotherhood act. still kind of has like a, yo, it's brotherhood. You know, yeah, can yeah. you imagine, oh, I'm a gangster, fatherhood. No, nah, not quite, mate. So the uh, the film opened last week and made yes. two million quid, roughly. Two million, yeah, we did have previews. Rounded up. Yeah, we had previews. Yeah, it was 1.98 something, so it was like two million. It's rounded isn't up. It? You know, I'm sure the head of Lionsgate could have thrown in an extra 20 and topped it up if you wanted to. <laughs> um, and we had previews, but Sausage Party, who was a uh, 2.7, yeah. and on double the amount of screens they had previews too so you know I think it's it's fair game yeah that's amazing yeah it's not bad at all so uh, are you rolling in cash this week Is it, Man, how much of it goes what? directly to you I, I wish that you know we actually got like a pound for every uh, 
you know for every pound you made (laughs) (laughs) sorry a penny for every pound I'd be alright but unfortunately as you know in the film industry it doesn't work that way so uh, you know I'm sure the the investors and distributors will be rubbing their hands but (laughs) there's a, a, a a labyrinth of a waterfall before I start seeing anything. So it'll be, what, 15 years and you'll get a royalty check yeah, for £25? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, weirdly, because the budget's so low on this and it's doing so well, it might not be 15 it might be 5 but but then they'll start trickling in, I'll get like a check for £2 and be like, yes! <laughs> but it's amazing because it, in one week it made two-thirds of what adulthood made. Yeah, in, it's still coming. We're doing yeah. about 150 a night, so I mean, they're thinking now it might be adulthood, which would be nice. That's amazing. Yeah. So um, clearly, there was an appetite there for. Do you think it was an appetite there for this type of film, or an appetite for the return of of Sam, your character, or or what was it? It's a combination of things, you know. It really is a combination of things, you know. Because I've tried to work it out in the past myself, you know. I've, as you know, I've, I've I went on after adulthood and did sci-fi's and did stuff like that. And mm. you take yourself as the leading man that's had so much success, and you put yourself in these other films, and they don't quite have the success, and you start to realize, okay. It's not just that. And then other people exploit these genres and they don't have the success. And you realise it's the combination. It's like they want that character. They want me mm. in that type of film. And you kind of... There's a certain audience that go, OK, he's great, but do I want to see him fighting aliens? No, I can watch that on TV. <laughs> I love these types of films, but where are my core characters that I grew up with at school? But when you put those things together, yeah, yeah, it suddenly works. Like, yeah. I, I would be sure that Brotherhood would have still done business had I even not been in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I just written it, but the fact that it's Sam and the you know it's a combination. Yeah, so yeah. was there a, was there a period though when you were maybe fighting against that that perception that you know that that if you were in a movie like this it would do really well. I mean, because it took eight years from adulthood to brotherhood. It did. It did take it. Yeah. I mean, I think you know it's the same with like American stars when they do a certain film and then suddenly you put them in a in a rom com or something and it just bombs mm. and then everyone goes okay. They like him in action movies. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It, it's one of those ones. But you, you can't, it's trial and error. You don't always know that stuff until you do it. And I think I have because uh, some of the others, the sci-fi's, have done well abroad. I think I've half transcended it. But there's a core audience here mm. that grew up on those films that then go when other films like that come out, then go well, they're 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 serial O's. They're not the brand name ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And so they want the brand name ones with the elements and the the. They want the Happy Meal with the proper toys in it. <laughs> Not the Smiley Meal from McDougal's. <laughs> that doesn't exist, by the way. I love the Smiley Meal. Other burger places are. <laughs> I do love McDougal's. It's my favourite burger Smiley joint. Meal, right? Yeah, yeah, just look at me, man. Look at the size of me. Um, right, so we'll, we'll talk to you more, 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 you know, sure. more so, uh, as the show progresses. But uh, we have readers' questions, or one reader's question, which has been sent in via Twitter, chosen this week, by uh, at Connor Keneally. And this is a cracking question. How you and Tom Hanks? I love Hanks. Yeah, good. Love okay, Hanks-y. good, good, good. Do you have a favourite Tom Hanks character? A uh, Woody. Okay, everyone right. loves a Woody. Right. Uh, if all of Tom Hanks's characters had a fight, who do you think would win? That is a high level, high end, high concept question. Mm. Who would win in a fight between Tom Hanks's characters? This is a very, very, very good question. Do you have an answer? No. <laughs> Johnny's got some thoughts though. Johnny can lead off. Well, I had some thoughts about uh, weapons. Are there any okay. of his uh, detectives or um, his Captain Miller from Saving Private Ryan would be carrying guns? Yeah. So presumably he's going to be, say, Joe Fox from You Got Mail. Yeah. Because <laughs> they just shoot him. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's, That's true. It, yeah, but Miller has, you know, he has slightly... He has morals. 
he's got morals, but also he he sometimes shakes in action. So mm. I'd put him up against. So Pep John Miller <laughs> was Road to Perdition a Hanks movie? Yes, that's yeah. really cool. So he's got a gun in that. Yeah, he's like a proper gangster enforcer. He's a mob enforcer, isn't he? So he's probably likely to have. But are we talking about a fight with weapons, though, or just a just a sort of yeah, mano, like a, like a full Anchorman style. I mean, this isn't in the question. I'm just extrapolating here, but just a full Anchorman style dust up in a car park, three in the morning. All of Hanks' characters got absolutely pissed up, and they're just going for it. I've picked mine. Okay, what is it? It's the castaway guy. The castaway guy. <laughs> Chuck he, Nolan. He survived a plane crash. He talks to a ball. Like, you cannot mess with that. Handy thing. with a blade, right? <laughs> like, he talks to a ball, man. Like, he yeah. is nuts. You can't be... He, you'd be, like, aiming a gun at him, and he'd just be like... <laughs> with his beard and stuff. You can't beat him. That wouldn't stop a bullet, though, would it? <laughs> uh, no, he, maybe he survived a plane crash, man. He can survive pretty much anything. He takes out his own molar with a, with a, with an ice skate, doesn't he? Yeah, the guys. Yeah, you're right. He's got. He's that's, hardcore. That's he's hardcore. He's, he's He'd be aiming guns at him and he'd be camouflaged and disappeared, like you wouldn't be able to see him. But I'm going to one up you on that, Noel. <laughs> the conductor from Polar Express. Oh Christ! Mm. Dead eyes. Mm. Look right into your soul. Doll's eyes. Yeah. He's yeah. going to go a coming. psychological you just hear that advantage. Bell. You just hear that flipping bell. Yeah. Like, <laughs> terrifying man. <laughs> um, you mentioned Joe versus the volcano. I did, uh, and we were discussing beforehand exactly what happens in Joe vs. Vol- the Volcano. Right. Because presumably he, he fights a volcano. Neither of us know is the key here. Like we haven't um, seen it. Have you never seen Joe vs. No, volcano? but okay. we think he wins. Film. He if wins. He, we think he vol- fights a volcano and beats the volcano, and therefore would beat um, any of these other people. Mm-hmm. David Basner, for example, or um, Victor jo- Josh Baskin. Oh, think, yeah. Victor Navorsky from the Terminal. Yeah. Adaptable. Mm. But a bit rubbish. Good in confined spaces. A bit rubbish. Sleeps in the bin. The thing is, he's never really played. I mean, he's played one killing machine in Road to Perdition. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to put that guy up against the castaway guy. You've got a Tommy gun versus a guy with a volleyball. But you can't see him because he, he's, he's like crazy and he hides. <laughs> Are you confusing him with the Predator? No. <laughs> he's, he's as good as, man. You know, he, you know, he's Tom as good Hanks as. as the Predator would be. And also, does Woody count in this? Does Woody count yeah, in this? Yeah, absolutely. Dude, because if you saw a little crazy toy walking towards you, wouldn't you just freak out? <laughs> Remember when his head yeah. turns around and part says, so play nice. Remember that? Yes. Oh, Jesus, yeah. You've got Road to Perdition's got nothing on that, man. He'd freak out. All right. Okay. I, think, I think I might have the answer, though. If you've seen Cloud Atlas, he plays a cockney gangster called Dermot, Dermot Hoggins. Mm. <laughs> he plays five characters, five, yeah. I think. Or is it six? This is the film where um, Hugh Grant plays a Maori cannibal, yeah. um, and they put Tom Hanks. Naturally, in. it's a role uh, he was waiting to play all his life, and he throws a bloke off a roof. Yeah. Um, I think he's probably the the most likely to to uh, to win a sort of fist fight. I'd imagine. I don't know. I'm still going with the guy with the Tommy gun. I mean, Forrest Gump can run; he's pretty fast, and he's handy with a ping pong bat, but mm. you cannot run a bullet. Or a folly of bullets. So. Does this come down to like a Street Fighter 2 thing, which is like there are heavier characters who are slower mil- moving, which uh-huh. is like Hanks in his later career. <laughs> and then there's like the, the more live but quicker characters that are, you know, 80s Tom Hanks. And then it comes down to just what your personal preference is and like what plays to your strengths as your... So I, for myself, I would probably pick a lither character uh, with the speed <laughs> and... Or nimble, uh, like yeah. So I'm. I think I'm. I'm leaning towards eighties, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna let the yeah later. Tom Hanks has the weight, uh-huh. but uh-huh. he uh-huh. um he comes second best for for me for that. 
what about the finishing moves of the later Tom Hanks characters? I mean, you know, I, I quite like the idea of having a sort of Street Fighter Two scenario instead of this free for all. That, that well, there, I can see Chuck Norris. I have a new option. <laughs> big Chuck, Tom Hanks and Big Tom Hanks and Big because you can turn to a little boy and a, and a grown adult and you'd be like Ooh. who's this little boy and he'd be like oh, hello little boy and he'd, like, and he'd grab and just like get you <laughs> he's got the knife skills of an adult but the face of a child <laughs> well, I wouldn't expect it you wouldn't expect it that's Suddenly, a really bang. good point hey so you, little boy I'm just going to put my gun down and give you some candy <laughs> <laughs> hmm? so in this scenario that we've created do these Tom Hanks characters know they're all played by Tom Hanks do they know that they're fighting no. themselves or is it literally just you know I mean they're surprised from, they all look the same but yeah. otherwise they don't realise why Chuck from Castaway sees Josh from Big and they just and like, what, mm, what? Uh, uh. So yeah. familiarity okay. I'm, I'm going to kill you anyway alright okay good I'm glad we've set up the rules of this otherwise oh, but you wouldn't just... kill a little boy would you <laughs> oh no <laughs> Zoltan <laughs> grow, grow me Zoltan I don't remember being able to change. <laughs> well, 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 hey, he changed, didn't he? He wished it. So who's to say that after Big Finish, that didn't continue? Can you can you write, can you write a remake of Big? Because <laughs> I would genuinely love to see that. Just changes uh, that will. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, I think we've I think we've answered that question definitively, haven't we? We've listed every single Tom Hanks character. Yeah, I don't know if that's an answer. Uh, what do you think? I, I, Are we saying personally? I like the Road to Perdition guy, whose name I've completely blanked on, but I'm looking it up on Google right now. Michael Sullivan. There we go. That's his name. That's my choice. Knowles is Woody, because yeah, how are you going to beat a toy? It's it's almost impossible. Because he could even trick the kid. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Johnny. Joe Banks, Joe vs. Volcano. Because he's got a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. The conductor from Pyder Express. Because of his cold, dead, yeah. lifeless eyes. <laughs> Should we do a poll on Twitter and see what people yeah, think? Yeah, that's a great idea. We're going to do a All poll right. on Twitter and get the public to, to put this to the vote, and then we're going to get Tom Hanks to recreate this one day. Um, <laughs> he, yeah, he probably and would. That'll, <laughs> that'll be his next movie. Uh, right, if you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, and why the hell wouldn't you after that? Um, we're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. You can use the hashtag Empire Podcast. In fact, please use the hashtag Empire Podcast. We won't see it. We're on Facebook as Empire Magazine. And we're on email at podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, this time in the show is usually when we have a guest, a pre-recorded guest, but this time, obviously, Noel is here. He's live. Hello. He's live in the studio. So I'm going to talk to Noel for, for a few more minutes. Um, your credit in Brotherhood intrigued me because it's and Noel Clark at the end. Yes. But you're the lead of the movie. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's interesting to me. Why did you do that? I did that in adulthood too. Yeah. Um, because I feel like I've got so, I'm doing so much in the film anyway. Give some of the other actors like the lead, uh, the top, the top billing. It kind of doesn't bother me. I've never had that sort of ego that I needed to be top billing. Yeah, I, yeah. Don't, I don't care. Yeah. So uh, I think I gave it to Arnold this time. Uh-huh. I don't remember who I gave it to in adulthood, and yeah, then yeah. I just go at the end because it's going to say written and directed by anyone. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to like yeah. written and directed and star. It's ridiculous. Produced by T by yeah, all, yeah, all sorts yeah, of stuff. Tea coffee yeah. made by. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So yeah, I, yeah. So I always I always put it at the back. I don't I don't really care. That's refreshing. I like, yeah, I like that. I work with people I like, and they they're good guys. I mean, I worked with Arnold for so long, and I've you know, so I don't I don't care about mm. that sort of stuff. Um, it is uh, interesting as well because watching the movie, knowing it was the last, and I don't want to give anything away here for mm. the for the people who haven't seen it yet, uh, but knowing it's the last in the series. Yes. Seeing you come at the end and Noel Clark, yeah. and it's a thriller as well, in which Sam is uh, yeah. imperiled throughout. Yeah. 
it gives it an extra frizz on I think because I think audiences look at that when you, when you see someone and yeah you expect them to maybe not stick around as long as someone who would come oh, up yeah. at the very, very beginning of the yeah, credits. Yeah, I understand, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, don't really think of it like that. It's just a case of, you know, uh, you know when you're, you're doing deals with actors and there's someone you like and the agent says, what's the billing going to be? And you just go, oh, they can have five first. And they're mm. just like, are you sure? Are you sure? I'll send a fax <laughs> over the paperwork now. Email or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care about that, man. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 get, I, think, I think actually it's quite nice because, you know, like you said at the end of the story to have that at the end kind of also makes sense in a way because you know yeah. I created it but yeah, yeah I just kind of don't mind doing it when you sat down uh, was it now 12, 13 years ago more yeah. with, with Kid Hood yeah um, and you created this character who initially of course in Kid Hood is one dimensional bully yeah yeah, and and you know very much the villain of the piece yeah. uh, did you have any ideas for him down the line did you know <laughs> I mean no. you, you know you, the, the way you turned him around over the the course of the next yes. two movies is really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, and I never had any ideas to do that. I mean, the thing really was uh, play that part to the best of my ability because I was too old to play the lead, which is what I originally wanted. But by the time I'd written it so many years before, by the time it got made, I was too old to play uh, Trevor. Mm-hmm. Um, so play that part and that was it. I just played it. And I, I did kind of afterwards when I, I got a bit older and started thinking about him, you know, think, oh, it's a bit one-dimensional. And then when the next film came up, because I'd, I'd written it on spec just had an idea and wrote it um trevor couldn't be in there and Mm. i just kind of thought i really wanted people to understand more about why a a guy would behave like that and so my idea was to turn the two characters that people really disliked into characters that people liked and see if i could manipulate an audience with my writing and so it was supposed to be supposed to be sam and becky Mm. um and then uh, jamie couldn't do it Mm -hmm. um so i rewrote that part into her cousin lexi Mm -hmm. Um, who's you know as you see this sort of off kilter girl and, mm. but I think by the end people are rooting for them when he stands at the door of adulthood at the end and he just walks in I think people are like oh my god there's, they're going to be together yeah. and, you know and as you can see from again without giving too much away as you can see from this film at the start when he's got the two children you clearly see they did stay together for a while yeah absolutely you know absolutely and what was your intention with Sam this time around because uh, it's, it's partially a redemption story yeah, but as you said last time we spoke, you also you also covered that in adulthood. Yeah, I think adulthood was more the redemption story. I think this one is sort of a weirdly, even though he's older, sort of he's coming of age of this middle age. He's coming of middle age and yeah. kind of realizing that you know the things you do when you're young really affect you. Like you can't. It's so strange. It's all fun and games when you're young. Or not fun and games. Some people are really put upon and bullied like the kids in the movie. But mm. Well, Arnold's character got bricked in yeah. adulthood. Yeah. And it affects him 10, 10 years later. It still affects him. still affects him. And I kind of wanted people to realise that the things you do in your past... With Sam, it happens to be something he did that causes people to, you know, want uh, revenge on him. But the things you do in your past really affect you. And it's kind of he comes of age in this film he realises what's important and just as he realises what's important in terms of family because he's still flawed you mm. know he meets the uh, the Greek girl and mm. I won't give it away but I mean mm. he's a flawed guy he yeah. always has been but just as he starts to realise what's important those things start get getting taken away and it's like you know it comes down to anyone who's got a mother sister brother that they desperately love even friends sometimes it comes down to what you would do to protect your family and friends you know that's kind of where he's at because 
you know, he flippantly is like, oh, meet this chick and do this. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying my best, but are you really? And then some things start happening to your family and you, you galv- sometimes that stuff can galvanise you. You know? Mm. you know, it just so happens in this film, it's more violence related and stuff like that. But in real life, you know, sometimes people don't talk to family members for a long time. Something happens and then all oh, the family's galvanised or something. It's too late. Yeah. Like, come on, man. That yeah. was your brother or your sister or your... Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of about that, really. Oh, I was just going to make, ask about um, the the way that you, the West London of the of the film series has changed since you since you started making this. Yeah, because it has, isn't it? A lot. Yeah, it has a lot. I mean, it's gentrification, man. How does that affect the, the the sort of the backdrop for the movie for you? Um, in different ways. I mean, you know, you see Sam coming out of Starbucks and stuff like that, and you know, it, the the three films really show the gentrification of the area, but also of the character. I mean, like his his, his missus is a lawyer. They have a place. You know, so he's not like where he used to be. And I think that these, these films, and the reason this one took so long, is these films always come from a place of truth when I write them. You know, I can write everything I was standing in my head, but these things always come from a place of truth. And in the years that I've been doing this business and gone from council estate to having a little one bedroom when I was shooting Avi the same pit, to now having three bedrooms and a garden and three children and looking after them is like, I've seen both sides of that area. I live in the same borough, I've never left that borough. You know, you tell people now they're like, "Ooh, lardy dark Kensington and Chelsea." But mate, when I grew up in Labrock Grove, it was not fun. Yeah, like it wasn't a place that you like lardy dark. People were like, "Oh my god, you're from yeah, Labrock yeah. Grove," just in the north of the borough. Now I live in the south of the borough. But the point is, it's like I've seen both sides, both sides of that. Literally, you know, at the premiere party, after party, you know, the head of lines gets sitting there, and I'm talking to him, and I said, "Oh, this is my friend Steve, and Steve's a banker." You know, I still even this. This is my friend such and such. I won't say his name and. Yeah, he served. Uh, he served twelve. Got sentenced twenty five and served twelve. And oh, hello. Uh, <laughs> I but these are, that's I've seen both sides of of that that area. And so for me, the character is just there. He's just integrated. He doesn't look at it. Now you see it on screen, but he doesn't look at it that way. It's just you just see it. It's a bit more posh, and you know. You've seen both sides of the sort of filmmaking process as well. I yeah. mean, when, when you came on the podcast to talk about Stories Twenty Four, yeah, um, you were on the cusp of Star Trek Into Darkness, yeah. I mean, I assume you didn't, you weren't on the set for a long, long time with that one. Cause oh, I was. Were you? Weirdly, yeah. How long were you, how many days I was shooting? I uh, I think 10 days shooting, uh, eight minutes of in the film, 10 yeah. days shooting, but I was in LA for like four months. Yeah. You know, you can go, you know, you can go down and hang out and that was the best learning experience to sit there and watch that guy. I was wondering like what, what you've brought back from that Everything. to your own filmmaking Everything. and film writing. Everything, like... Yeah, you know I, I don't read reviews or anything like that but sometimes I look at what people say about the filmmaking and I can literally look at this one if people go this is a, not a well made film then I'll shit on them like that's bullshit right. like adulthood's not a well made film because I didn't know what I was doing I was lucky enough to get the opportunity and I was nowhere I wasn't taking it the story's great and people can look at the visceral thing and oh it's so raw because he doesn't know and it's brilliant in that regard but you look at it you know I can watch it now it's not a well made film it's just me learning and going, oh, I'll have a montage here, I'll put that there. <laughs> Brotherhood's a well-made film. Like, I don't care what you think about the story, I don't care whether you give it one star, five stars, that's a well-made film. Like, for the budget we had, it's slick, it's cinematic, I know what I'm doing now. And so for me, you know, that 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 sort of stuff's important. And I took everything from that. You, you, you can do nothing but learn from a man like J.J. Abrams in every, every way, shape, or form. You know, and... I'm pretty easy going actually always have been and but seeing him on set as well and just how he deals with everything and how he how he kind of really 
deals with crew and actors and remembers people's names and stuff like that. It was just reinforced the way that I was already behaving, already what I was doing, but anything I was like, man, you know, he didn't even get upset there, okay? <laughs> you need to kind of not get as upset as you might have done, you know, because you're watching one of the best. Yeah. If, this, if he's at the top of the Champions League and this is how he behaves, it make, creates a happy crew, you know? Yeah. And so that's, you, I took everything from that. Is that what you were like initially as a director? Were you someone who got angry with people if they didn't deliver? No, not, or? not, not really, not yeah. really. I was never like that anyway. Like I said, I didn't really get like that anyway, but yeah. you can get frustrated. But his frustration is more like, <laughs> whereas my frustration is like, Fah! do you know what I mean? And it's just about, <laughs> it's just about realizing much like in here. I doubt anybody's in here just coasting along. I'm hoping, Yeah. you know, everyone is trying their best and you always have to remember that. And sometimes when you've got 15 different departments, sometimes it's, and, yeah. and you need the costume and they're like oh we haven't bought it it's back at base and you kind of want to go over but you just go you know what it will be fine someone yeah. get it and we'll just wait let's think about what we can and it's just different ways of handling things yeah. as, as a director can you see can you see in JJ those moments you know when you're feeling those things you know and he's probably trying to keep them to keep them to himself yeah you're yeah, aware but of that. He, uh, yeah you can see it though you can see it but he just he deals with it in such a doesn't make anyone ever feel like you know, things happen. Yeah. Mistakes happen. So, like, it's not a big deal, is it? Do you know what I mean? People got really upset about the whole John Harrison Khan thing in that movie. I don't know yes. how aware you were of that. You know, the, the, the audiences have relationships with characters. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine you have that with, with, with the Brotherhood and the Adulthood series as yeah. well. People get very attached to the characters. Yeah, they do. They do, yeah. But uh, I think uh, a testament to this film is that uh, nobody was missed. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, did well, you, you talk sorry I just, just wanted to follow that up did you talk to Benedict about that whole thing on set did you get a chance to chat to him I was with him Yeah, all my scenes are with him I think and then um, we spoke obviously outside of work and yeah I mean he, he doesn't I mean, he didn't no. didn't register particularly <laughs> no, he had to do his job man like he didn't write it or anything yeah. like, he's really kind of like at the time was just like man I can't believe I'm doing I'm happy to do this movie I was like me too yeah you know so that was that really yeah um, you've you've obviously stayed, as you say, in the, in the place where you've lived all your life. You've stayed in Britain. You haven't gone to LA. Yeah. I mean, you, you obviously shot uh, Star Trek: The Darkness in LA. Yeah. But have you ever been tempted to go out there and and do that thing where you're out there for a year, or two years? And um, I haven't really been tempted, um, much to the chagrin of many agents I've had out there, because <laughs> they're always like, "Come to pilot season and you know get a pilot and stay in it for seven years, twenty three episodes a year for ten months." And I'm like, "That ain't happening, man." That's not happening. <laughs> so I've moved a few agents at times. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not massively tempted. I, I mean, I, I love that country. I don't like elements of the country. Like I don't want to be dropping my kids off at school and worried about them getting shot up and stuff like that. There's sure. things I just don't. I can't quite deal with. And I know that doesn't happen, but it happens enough. Yeah. Um, it happens too much. Um, uh, and I think nowadays most people go on tape anyway, so it almost doesn't matter. It almost doesn't matter where you are. Sometimes it's better to be in the room, but I, I've never been tempted. It's never. It's never cool to me. I've mm. always felt like if I work hard enough, I'll get there, like I did with Star Trek. You mm. know? And then, you know, I, I create my own work, so it's never yeah. something that kind of is. I need to do this, and I love. I love raising my kids. I enjoy like raising my kids, and I wouldn't want to move the whole family, and then I wouldn't want to be away from them for like months and months at a time. Yeah. If 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 the right thing came along, the right thing, and the role's big enough, and I'm not talking about continuing like seven year thing, but if the right thing came along, then a hundred percent there's a consideration. You know, you, you get stuff like a true detective or, you know, those six parts that they it's only going to be a couple of months, not ten. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, um, the right thing came along, then then I would always consider anything. You know. Yeah. But otherwise, it seems like there's a there's a commitment. I mean, there are a number of directors who, because you know, you get British directors and they they make films and. Then Hollywood comes and they go to Hollywood, and yeah. but there seems to be a, a growing number of directors who stay here and they stay here and they support. Yeah, a film industry that frankly needs support. Yeah, you know people like Ben Wheatley and Paddy yeah, Considine. They, he, he emailed me know. yesterday to congratulate. Oh, us awesome. on, the, on the numbers and stuff like that. Yeah, so this is clearly you know this is clearly a decision on your part to stay here and make British films and and stay within the industry. It's I would make an American film. Yeah, and you know there are some on the table, mm. but the first part of it is correct. It's clearly a decision. There is a decision to stay here. Yeah. Um, making American, I'd 100% make an American film. American film. Like, that's not a sh- without a shadow of a doubt. We've got about five on our slate that I would do in a heartbeat that we're building up and setting up and stuff like that. So that's not really what it's about. I think the key is being a British director mm. that can make either British films or American films. Yeah, yeah. You know. So the second part is is a yeah. It's a choice to stay here. What's the next film? Um, well. I, well, I can't necessarily <laughs> tell you that. We have. Uh, I've chosen the. What next does it rhyme with now? But the next one I want to direct rhymes with booger. Ooh. There you go. Okay. How many words are there that rhyme with booger? I'm I'm, I'm lost. Uh, yeah, booger, booger rhymes um, with booger. We do have, <laughs> so we produced um, Scottish Muscle, which is Tallulah Riley's writing directing debut. Oh which yeah. We set up and produced um, at Unstoppable, which is my company. So that's coming out at the end of uh, end of September. Cool. Couldn't be further from a hood film. Yeah, I don't think there's a person of colour in it. If I'm honest, there's an otter. <laughs> Ray the otter, or just an just an otter? No, no. Yeah, I, I think we called him Ray. We did call him Ray the otter. There's an otter, and um, yeah. But uh, so that, that's coming out and um, setting up a bunch of stuff, man. Yeah. We have another exciting project which uh, big name has just attached themselves to, like big big name. Oh wow! You know, so uh, we almost didn't believe it, but they want to do it. So that we're setting that up to hope shoot uh, January, February. Something for you to direct, or no, no, no. I've got a great female director that I've plucked out of. Haven't done a few short films. The cast members come on because of me and because of us, yeah. and because of my trust in the director. But I mean, it'll be great for her. She'll after that, she'll just go. I did a Q and A with you the other night, and you talked about a. You did I didn't a, know we were allowed to say that in case because then people were kind of well, they know each other. This is ridiculous. This is a totally biased conversation. I'm giving this conversation four stars. Um, but um, <laughs> you talked about a, a film about cake. Yes, yes. I've had this idea for a long time. Literally, oh, I don't have my laptop. Literally, still on my laptop <laughs> is the uh, Word document with the title, Cake. Um, I, I, yeah, I wanted to do a, a film about a cake contest. Like, a, just a nice sort of I, I must, film. Wait a second. Is it, this is something that you've been watching Bake Off? No, no, And you're no. like, this is zeitgeisty right now. I th- no, no. Really? I've had the idea for a long time, man. Someone who shouldn't, someone who's not from that environment, kind of getting into that environment and ended up in this cake contest and stuff like that. And there's two versions. There's one that's sort of an American version, and there's one which I mentioned to you the other night, mm. which is a foreign language set in like Portugal or France or something like that, where it's just like someone getting it. I just, I just love the thought of it. I love cake as well, so that helps. I can see, I can see that film. I, I can see yeah. that film too. Uh, man, I would love it. That. Sort of a tone of Amelie. You remember? Yeah, Amelie? yeah, yeah. That sort Amelie. of tone, you know? Like yeah. Delic- okay. Not quite delicatessen, but sort of the Amelie tone. Do you bake? No. No, God okay. no. no. I, I, eat, I eat cake though. Right. I'm very, very a consumer, but well not versed a in eating cake. Yeah, right. What's your favourite cake? Red velvet, mate. Oh, all day <laughs> no, I can Not even hesitation. No, just sorry, straight bang. in. All day. Red velvet. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to ask one last thing before we get on to talking about the week's movie news as well. Um, there are a couple of sex scenes in Brotherhood. Mm. How do you direct yourself <laughs> in a sex scene? Well, the um, well. 
So the the one with the uh, the other, not the wife. Yeah. Uh, without giving too much away, <laughs> that literally is close set. And me and her spoke about it like, weeks in advance. This is what we're gonna do. And we we literally had a, it was like a dance move. Yeah. So we like, we sat down. We're like, right, we're gonna do thirty seconds of missionary, and then we'll flip to. I said it to my wife last night. Doggy. <laughs> 30 seconds. Yeah. 30 seconds. You know, I'll be try my best, best. Best minute of your life, girl. <laughs> then we're going to flip to... So we literally... <laughs> they're cracking up at you because they know it's true, right? We literally... Uh, <laughs> Not from the experience. <laughs> <laughs> so we literally plotted this dance move. Yeah. Set the camera up in one spot for that one. Everyone cleared out. And then we're like... As the first AD's outside and he calls the 30 seconds. So he's go, go. And on 30 seconds he goes, Switch! <laughs> And we literally switch position, and then he goes switch. So that was enough to so that if the wife watched the thing, she would see. With Shanika, just directed it as I would direct it normally. Like Shanika's my friend, so it's like it'd be like having a scene with you. Like it's so unsexy. <laughs> not suggesting we should have a sex scene. No, and I'm, I'm not, not suggesting you're unsexy. Just like the actual, <laughs> the actual process of doing it is very unsexy. This is now officially a closed pod. Yeah, <laughs> that's, you know that's that's interesting because so we we talked again the other night because there are lots of scenes as well in Brotherhood where Sam is very angry and very intense, and yeah. you said you had to take yourself away yeah, from set and get yourself into that into that yeah with that. the emotional stuff yeah. yeah yeah. I just definitely. wonder how that works with 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 uh, scenes where you're you're tackle out so to speak. Well, it's in a change purse, isn't it? It's all like is it? It's in a it's in a like a a, a thing that goes. You put the boys in, and uh-huh. then you put the main man in, and then you pull the string so none of it can leak out. Do you know what I mean? And then the girl has a the girl has a big old hand size sticker. What? Over her, over this her is goodies, amazing. That then kind of goes around like a little thong and just tucks in behind the bum cheeks like that. So everything's all covered up. There you go. There you go. That is something that you've learned something today, Phil, and, and, haven't you? And the girl's one is called a modesty patch, uh-huh. and the boy's one is called a modesty pouch. <laughs> Not too modest, right? No. No. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Change purse, I call it. <laughs> More of a modesty satchel. Um, right. Let's talk about the movie this news. Is like a modesty sack. He's like, mine's a sack. <laughs> I knew it would explode. I knew it would go off the rails. Right. Um, let's talk about the week's movie news. Phil, what's happening? What's happening in the world of movie news? Let's, this let's get Noel involved in this. Okay. Uh, no. Yes. There's festivals happening. I don't know. I was hoping you no, might have going some to Toronto. Years. You're going to Toronto. There you go. Today. Right. So there's the movie festivals happening. Hours. Venice has happened. Yes. Toronto's about to happen. It is. You're going to Toronto. I Tell am. us about it. Toronto <laughs> International Film Festival is one of the top festivals in the world. They select films from around the world and they've selected Brotherhood, weirdly. So what does your festival look like, just in a nutshell? You're there for, for more than a day, a couple of days? I'm there for days? 10 days. Oh, wow. So literally, we have the screenings of the film. They're also showing the previous two films. Um, but I have meetings like from morning to night every day wow. for 10 days like full up because everyone from LA and New York flies over to Toronto and produces meet and actors meet and people set up new films they sell their films we have films we want to sell as well so it's going to be a full on and then in the evening every night there's a party I don't party very much if my wife's listening I won't be partying <laughs> I will be uh, in the apartment working until my <laughs> next morning meetings if she's not listening yeah right parties yeah we'll edit okay. that bit out yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll bleep out the the, uh, the relevant parts <laughs> we've had the Venice Film Festival this week and um, I guess the big story there has been probably the return of Mel Gibson with Hacksaw, Hacks, Hacksaw Ridge mm-hmm. his new World War 2 film with Andrew Garfield mm-hmm. uh, which he's calling very much an Australian movie shot in Australia um, which got a 10 minute standing ovation wow that seems like a really long time to be clapping 
but it's something that the that people have been raving about over there. Yeah. Um, and well, it, we should do it. We should stand up for ten minutes and clap because I think just, I think after a minute you're going to start to get a bit bored. You would, wouldn't you? It's I mean, a really yeah. long time. You hear about mm-hmm. these standovations at can that go on for sort of days. I think, yeah, I think the record of can is 20 minutes. That's why I, I, What do you do? Like, that's you, why I heard. Is everyone still clapping in those 20 minutes? I mean, you People can't be as enthusiastic throughout that clap. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's ridiculous. Kevin Smith it. told me that he got a 20-minute standing ovation for Clark's 2 of all movies. But, right. I just, you know, I, I've, I've never seen one in Cannes. I've been to Cannes multiple times, but, you know, obviously don't let someone like me into the, the big gala screenings. So I've yeah. never seen people do that. I've never heard people boo a film at Cannes either. You know the story about Mark Kermode? He was so angry at the film once he ran down a can, took his shoe off and threw it at the screen. Mark, that was Mark? Mark Kermode, yeah. That was not Mark. No, he'll, he'll tell you that story. It was him It was him. It? I it was heard him. about that. I didn't know it was him. Yeah. But is it the clapping a case of you're clapping and then you're like, I'm, I'm done clapping. You go to sit down and something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. John's still clapping. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep going. And then you go to sit down, you see me. No one's still clapping. I might as well keep clapping. Maybe yeah. it's that and it just happens. Yeah, it's just the embarrassment of being the first one to sit yeah. down. It's like, fuck you. I can't do that. All right. I'm a clapping. I'm a clapping. Clark's two for twenty minutes. What? Yeah, what the- don't stop till like, <laughs> don't stop till the oldest person in the room like faint collapses. And like, right, he's down. He's down. I'm out. See you there, guys. It's like the Hunger Games, but with clapping. Uh, Do you pull the car around? <laughs> I'm excited about Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, you know, I know that um, I've seen it. Oh yeah, yeah, I yeah, saw yeah. It two days ago. It's very good. Um, I didn't clap for ten minutes, but I, uh, I sat in my seat and watched the credits and waited for Andrew Garfield to come out and do a Q and A. So that's kind of the same. It is the same. Yeah. Is Mel Gibson in it too? He's not in it, no. Mm. Can, uh, you say, can you say what you thought of it? I just said it? I really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, proper, proper good. Proper, proper, good. proper good. So the first half of the film is the build-up and then the war scenes start and they are unbelievable. Like They are so uh, real and so uh, vibrant and it is like intense stuff. Mm. And when he starts doing his... Forest Gump rescuing thing where he's just pulling people out of the uh, off the battlefield that is that is some intense shit man it's a true man. story it's a true story yeah so you think Oscar's for Andrew maybe I mean maybe yeah wow. you can really believe that like it's about um, the first conscientious objector to win the medal of honour wow so this was a guy who wouldn't carry a gun but and was like persecuted for it by his um, by the officers and soldiers around him but then they took him onto the battlefield because he won his case to go on and wouldn't carry a gun but yeah, yeah. stayed around to carry injured people off the battlefield when everyone else had retreated it was amazing wow I'm excited about it though. I know that you know, that Mel Gibson has had his interesting moments off screen so yeah. to speak shall we say that diplomatically mm. um, but as a director I think he's fantastic he's an amazing director and um, I can't remember who I was saying it to maybe Phil maybe what um, was it? Uh, it, I was saying that it's it's a real oh, actually I think it was your brother okay. um, they're interchangeable it's fine fine so because of Mel's um, much publicised problems it feels like we've, we're missing like two or three more films that he might have made and I think that's a real shame because he is such a talented filmmaker and Andrew Garfield was saying that he's just so um, emotionally switched on that he just um, he lives absolutely in the moment and understands uh, exactly you know what the film needs and what the um, performances need to be and he can he's just so intelligent about it that he is a, an incredible director an incredible director to work for and yeah it does feel that you know we could have had two or three more movies from that guy and you know we've mm. been robbed of them so just because of his uh, personal problems 
That's a Mel Gibson box set. Mm. Just Oof. Mel Gibson movies and you know DVD extras of him yelling at people. That'd have been interesting. Um, Apocalypto Two. Absolutely. What women want again? Uh, very excited by. There's not a lot of movie news out this week, I guess, because Hollywood shut down for Labor Day. But um, Shanghai Dawn seems to be happening. This is the third in the Shanghai Noon series. Uh, so the last one was Shanghai Nights, which came out in what 2002, 2003. A long time ago, yeah, yeah, and uh, maybe 2004. And uh, so now Jared Hess, the guy who directed Napoleon Dynamite, yeah, he's going to direct the new, the new one with uh, Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson back again. And you know, I'm kind, I like the first two movies, so I'm 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 pleasantly surprised by this. I no, didn't, Noel's not too convinced. I can tell. I didn't really love them. Yeah. No, I didn't really. I mean, I like Jackie Chan stuff, but those ones just didn't. I don't know. Didn't sit well with me. And like the, the partnership between Jan and, and Owen Wilson. I think He's it was the setting. I think wow. it was the setting really. Wow. It just didn't quite work for me. Yeah, I liked. It. Well, I What's liked maybe about the uh, as I've said in the podcast before, maybe because the uh, I didn't get the pun of Shanghai Noon for years. I've, I didn't get it. What's it, the second one called? Shanghai Nights. Shanghai Nights. What's that? There's no pun there. Okay. What's the third one? Shanghai Dawn. Is there a pun there? No. They've got us looking for puns now. Yeah. So you but got, there is you got high noon, Shanghai noon. Mm. So it should have been high society. Yeah. Shanghai society. It should have been something like that. They should have mm. kept playing on that. So they should have just switched <clears throat> switch genres almost. Yeah. So keep the two together. So it's <clears throat> two together, but in yeah. different types of films. Yeah. Absolutely. All based around the a, a high, high Shanghai society. Yeah. Shanghai so concept. Shanghai Don Corleone. Yeah. Absolutely. Shanghai God, I don't know what that would be, but yeah. I'd like to see Jackie Chan in the movie like that. That'd be quite fun. So I have I've, you know, I've completely turned around this movie now. It's going to be rubbish. There, I've decided. Um what else is happening? Because well, obviously we, we I wouldn't want Noel to be late for his flight, but that's let's talk about a couple of other things. It's not new 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 news, but it's uh today is the 50th anniversary of Star Trek first being broadcast in the today? States. Today, the 8th of September. Fantastic. Wow. Wow. That's, so happy birthday, Star Trek. There we go. We have someone who's part of Star Trek. Yes. Right here. You was, the, for a second, I was looking at John. Like, <laughs> you were in Star Trek? And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I was actually. Yeah. <laughs> so your hand direction was all off, Chris. It's a little... I pointed directly at you. Look no, at that. Even, I was like, what? Wait, you need to go to Specsavers. Look at that. It's directly at you. glasses, you know. Yeah? These days, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. I'm glad to have helped. They're in my case. <laughs> Point this out for you. Uh, were you a tracker before you took on Into Darkness? Was that something that... Uh, I was neither a Trekker or a Trekkie, but uh-huh. I was a fan of Star Trek, and I used to. But I wouldn't go as far as to say I was one of those. But I did watch the uh, the Next Generation, the original. Just kind of, I was just a bit too young to catch the originals. I think I remember them vaguely, but Next Generation every day, every day, I used to watch that when I came home from school or college. Yeah, yeah. number one, engage Picard. <laughs> loved him. I don't think they've got enough credit for how good the casting of the reboot Star Trek movies is. Oh, it, was fant- it was fantastic. Zachary Quinto and Clarky and Clarky. <laughs> yeah, you're not in the crew. Though, are you? Yeah, <laughs> like just crow by. He could have been hanging could've. around the back, just fiddling he, with knobs. And- could have been. <laughs> could have been. What's that guy doing? <laughs> Ensign John in it. Right, Ensign John with me. Uh, really? Do I have to, mate? You got the whole. You got the whole plot going though in in, yeah. in the sequel. So that's pretty. No, cool. I was just teasing. Yeah, no, the casting's yeah. been great. I think Chris Pine's very. Is it? Yeah, Chris Pine is a very underrated actor. We're talking yeah, about Hello really High Water today mm. reviewing it which is out as well this week mm. and he's so good in that yeah really good very strong moustache really very really jealous of that moustache <laughs> very powerful moustache um is huh. it worth mentioning that narcos has been 
Narcos? Narcos. 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 <laughs> <laughs> has been commissioned seasons three and four of Narcos, which seems to be something that people are really into at the moment. Yeah, what's interesting about that as well is that, as I understand it, season two, yes. Pablo Escobar, Escobar, spoiler, history, um, doesn't make it. No. So they're going to have to switch onto a new target, aren't they? I mean, mm-hmm. which, is, which is cool, I guess, as a sort of anthology nature of a lot of TV shows now where they, they change things Would around. Would it mean that they start getting a little more fictional or... I, I think know. I think what happens is, and I don't think this is a spoiler. They've been quite upfront about about the fate of Pablo Escobar, but the the the, the his the Medellin cartel suddenly Kylie becomes more powerful. So it's maybe Kylie, not Ky- the Kylie cartel, <laughs> run by a vicious <laughs> oh, right, <okay>. young Australian. <laughs> no, uh, the Cali, the city. The, the, oh, the, the, okay. the, it's a re sort of a re shaping of, of the Colombian drug I thought that's an interesting direction for Narcos to go to <laughs> Kylie Minogue turns up in the third season <laughs> I should be so lucky that was good man thanks man oh, I'm yeah. I didn't write that down either look at no, that I, I know I know you didn't it was really good doing the total motion <laughs> <laughs> now that's even better oh dear um, alright one last thing and then we're going to let Noel get to his flight yeah. um this Hugh Jackman musical, The Greatest uh, Showman on Earth, which is about P.T. Barnum. An original musical these days. La La Land is going gangbusters in Venice. People are loving it. But a big budget, lavish original musical with songs that you don't know. That's a very, very rare thing. But Hugh Jackman's in it. And this week, uh, we've got Zac Efron, Michelle Williams, Zendaya, uh, and Rebecca Ferguson's joined the cast this week. Not which, which one? Mm. X Factor. Not Rebecca Ferguson of X Factor, sadly. Uh-huh. Who has a new album out in October. Really? Yeah. Yeah, mm. big fan of Rebecca Ferguson. Okay. Uh, what a voice. But the other Rebecca Ferguson from Mission Impossible, so she's in it as well. So Not she... quite as excited about that, if I'm honest. Really? Oh, she's great. No. Yeah. Well, Rebecca was the X Factor girl in a musical, I'd be like, oh, mate, she's done well. She's got a hell of a voice. She was on... Sunday brunch the other day. I feel like a Rebecca Ferguson stalker here, but I, I, I promise you I'm not. Mm. Uh, she's moved so many times, it's hard to keep track. But um, <laughs> she was saying that she'd like to act at some point. I like to see that. You know, she's got this incredible yeah. Bond-esque, very, you know, they smoky. Act. They all want to act. All of them? Yeah. Name a single, any musician, and they'll yeah, have you an acting oh, I'd love to get into movies. Like, yeah, of course you would. Give me some of your millions on your record sales, I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Does it work the other way around? Do you no, want to get into music? No, I don't. The hills are alive. I think I can tell a note, though. That that was evidence to the contrary, yeah. but... <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough. Do you have any musical talent? Do you play an instrument? Uh, no, I don't. No, I don't. Not, none at all. Shutting that one down. Yeah. Um, so you're, I'm, I'm excited because I think Rebecca Ferguson is a great actress, but yeah, I agree. I would have preferred to see the other Rebecca Ferguson yeah, in this one. That would have been yeah. fun. She's awesome. New album. Also, Bridget Jones is out. Do you guys not... Are you not is that not a new lot? Uh... Two weeks' time. Not out yet. Uh, yeah. Not, yeah. I'll I'll take week, we, we talk about it next week. No, no, you're right. You're right to talk about it, though, because it's uh, an interview Colin Firth for it, and that's, he's one of our guests next week. So. It's a trilogy. I believe the second British trilogy. Yeah. Oh. What's the first one? Just kidding. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> um, Starring and Rene Sayawak. It's, uh, it's very interesting. Right, I think we should let uh, Mr. Clark go and uh, catch a flight to Toronto, because we wouldn't want to be you know, responsible for you being late for all those meetings that no, you're doing. Me neither. Yeah, me, yeah, meetings, no, me neither. Thank you so much Grand. for having me, guys. It's Thanks been a so pleasure. Much, and uh, I promise you, well, as best as we can, we're not going to delete this one. Oh, yeah, please try not to. Fantastic. Cheers, Noel. Thanks for coming in, man. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so Noel has left the building, and as one guest leaves, another arrives. This one is of the pre-recorded variety, though. Uh, it's Aragorn himself. 
Figgum Mortensen, who ever since Lord of the Rings finished, he's carved himself a very interesting path as an actor. That continues with this week's drama, Captain Fantastic, which he plays, shall we say, unorthodox widower, struggling with his large family. Uh, we sent our Emma Thrower to talk to him. Enjoy. So we're absolutely delighted to welcome to the Empire Podcast our 2009 Icon Award winner himself. It's Mr. Vigo Mortensen. Nice to speak with you. How are you? I have good memories of that night. <laughs> Do you? Not that vague. Not as vague as you might think. There were some big, big speeches from <laughs> Russell Crowe. And... Yes, I remember that. <laughs> now, as we sit and chat today, there's still a few weeks until Captain Fantastic hits the UK screens. Mm. But the film had such a warm response at Cannes a few months back, and rightly so. So how did it feel to receive such a rapturous response there? Because can audiences can be quite mean, can't they? Yeah, they can. They can they'll boo, they'll sometimes walk out, and people argue loudly during while the movie's showing. Even. Yeah. That's, all, all of that happens there. We first showed the movie publicly at the Sundance Film Festival, mm-hmm. independent film festival in the U.S., and it went really well. Uh, it was very well received there, long-standing ovation, and then we were very excited to be invited to be in competition in Cannes. But I, I, had, I was a little nervous about it you know when when some of the kids asked me or, or Matt the director said, what do you what do you think awaits us there I said hard to say it could go either way you know you, international audience is a different kind of audience yeah. different kinds of journalists and so forth plus the fact that they were showing it at 10 30 11 at night after yeah. journalists have seen a few movies that day restless. yeah I thought, <laughs> oh this could either go really badly or well you just don't know no. and it was it was if anything it was even more of a rapturous response and can as you point out and the the best thing about it was that audiences, not just journalists, stayed afterwards and we were out in the street talking with them and they were really excited and relating it to their own families and, you know, their own society. Not They weren't saying, well, this is just a U.S. movie or yeah. about U.S. society or something. So that was very encouraging and it's continued, you know, I think Matt Ross won an award for his directing there at Cannes mm-hmm. and we've won several audience festival awards in Europe and the U.S. and very, very happy about it. I'm very proud of the movie. I'm, I'm I'm really happy that it's in movie theaters. You know, sure. these days to see independent movies in movie houses, it's getting harder and harder. You know. Now there's that incredible photo from the red carpet where you and the kids all flipping the bird to the, mm. to the press. Whose idea was that? It's such a good photo for anyone who hasn't seen it. I guess I have to admit I instigated it, but it wasn't very. <laughs> they needed no convincing. They were, no, I'm sure. Yeah, we're a tight family unit. Now, for those who aren't yet aware, Captain Fantastic is the story of your character Ben mm. and his six incredibly intellectual children and they live in their own sort of paradise away from the restraints of technology and conventional schooling what was it about Ben that really really spoke to you well I like that he wasn't that he was he's flawed he's very human character it has a complex emotional journey you know so it was not only one of the best scripts I'd read in many years but one of the best if not the best character in some ways that I'd been given to play yeah I really enjoyed you know, just even reading the script the first time having no idea where it was headed I liked it in the first few pages a lot but I had the wrong idea of where it was going. Okay. I had a much more limited idea. It seems like, and I think you feel this when you watch the movie, that this is a fat, you know, this father and six kids living in the forest, completely off the grid. You're thinking, well, it's some kind of left-wing mm-hmm. utopian fantasy, and they'll be coming up against conservative foes yeah. and obstacles and so forth. And you know, that's fine. Uh, and I was 
looking forward to that. It probably would be funny and so forth. And it is funny, but it's much more than than what I thought it, it was going to be. As you get further into the story, you realize it's really not politically slanted yeah. at all. In fact, Ben, the character I play, the father, is where you at first might think, well, what if, you know, he is a fantastic dad. He is Captain Fantastic. Not too far into the movie, you start to wonder if he's not really unhinged and, sure. and a menace to society, <laughs> really, not just his own kids, that it's he's too, you know, he's honest, which is great with his kids about everything. They talk about sex and death, even the six-year-old. <laughs> but it's maybe too brutally honest sure. in some cases. And some of the things that he asks of them physically, some of the extreme, you know, mountaineering and all that sort of stuff, that maybe it's too harsh. Uh, it's too much for young kids. So, you, you know, you go back and forth wondering, is he a really great dad or is he a terrible dad? And the people you think are going to be cardboard, cut out antagonists or villains in some sense or the bad the bad guy the grandfather in particular he's yeah. very conservative when you meet him he's played by Frank Langella first of all so he's, he's very well acted but he and and his wife the grandmother played by Ann Dowd they're very sensible they're very reasonable it's obvious they love their grandchildren they love them as much as I love them and a lot of the things that they say make sense you kind of say as an audience well yeah I was thinking that actually Ben that was a bit much you know yeah. what he did with the kids and this without giving things away sure. so it's very balanced and it's it speaks to the, the value of communicating and listening to people that you are not initially interested in or you may want nothing to do with or you've already prejudged as being stupid or ignorant or you know wrong in their ideas. I mean, this is a problem in society now, isn't it? You know, when you Absolutely. cut yourself off as a country from other countries, or you cut yourself off as a, in terms of race, religion, class. So I think the movie speaks to that, and without being political, and I think it's one of those movies that people remember, you know, in the way that you, certain movies mark a time. If you're talking about U.S. movies, I'd say movies like Easy Rider at the end of the 60s, yeah. or early to mid-70s movies like Taxi Driver, Network. These are movies that you remember uh, from a certain time. And I think right now in the U.S. anyway, I don't think things have been as polarized in society as they are now since the late 1970s, you know, in, in, in many ways. And I think Captain Fantastic will be remembered as a movie of this time very yeah. much. You were saying about Frank Langella and that the grandparents are very sensible. However, he does fire an arrow at you. Um, mm. was, was that real? How Does he actually fire an arrow at you is my question. Yeah, yeah. But it, it wasn't as close as it looks. No. You know, so he wasn't as close to hitting me as it looks like in a movie. I mean, just, just slightly. Yeah. <laughs> You're paired with the most infectious bunch of young people in this, one mm. of them being our very own George Mackay, yeah. who we're very fond of over here. He's a really good actor. He does a fantastic job. He plays the eldest of the six children. There are three boys, three girls, ranging from six to, in the movie, you know, uh, even though he was probably 20, 21 at the time, he yeah. was playing an 18-year-old. Yeah. He's wonderful in the movie. Really does a great job. And one of my favorite scenes that you share is that sort of impromptu music session around the campfire right is that how you all bonded before you started filming is that right with your um, music yeah that was part of it I mean we the director fortunately got permission from the producer to bring the kids early I, I got there early anyway because I wanted to work with Matt on the the uh, home site where we yeah. live in the woods and putting help putting in the garden and sort of I brought a bunch of things in a truck and to say well, if you want to use these things they would work here you know bicycles canoes blankets they just had bags. hanging around I just brought them from home <laughs> and, and plants you know, so we could plant a garden that was at a stage, you know, where it really would be a vegetable.
vegetable garden at yeah. that time of the year. But we had two weeks of intensive group training and some individual training uh, with the kids before we started, which was in, proved to be invaluable, mainly in terms of bonding, but also the skills you have to see on screen. You sure. know, the rock climbing, the martial arts, uh, you know, jujitsu that we do, the uh, yoga, mm-hmm. you know, c- catching animals, and the girls even had to learn to do, you know, skin them and dress them out, uh, bagpipes, yeah, all kinds of music. Play them? Yeah, I, but did. I don't play that well. I play pretty badly there. <laughs> Just to wake the kids up. Yeah. As far well, as it goes. Certain, certainly I would wake anyone up the way I play them. <laughs> and the music was part of that as well. And we would get together and jam. It was a really good way to get to know someone. Yeah. And you don't have to be a musician. You don't have to be good at an instrument. It's, you can make music together, whether it's a drum circle or you're playing different instruments. And we cu- quickly got to know each other in that non-verbal way, sure. understand each other. So by the, the first, first day of shooting, we were really tight as a group. Now, you told my colleague Phil a few years ago that you had some issues with heights um, when you were filming at Helm's Deep doing the two towers. Now, you've obviously got a bit of a cliff climbing bit in this. How was that this time around? I wasn't crazy about that no. either. I mean, it's necessary for the movie, so of course you're going to do it. Yeah. And when all these little kids, the young actors, are swinging about on the cliff face and laughing and having a good time, feel kind of stupid if you don't at least give it a shot, do sure. your best. So that was, I had probably had to do more acting in that scene and in some of the other ones where I had to pretend I not only knew what I was doing but that I really liked it yeah. enjoyed it and was comfortable hanging <laughs> from you know just a ledge way way up above the ground yeah it was a short day and one that I was glad that was over with quickly <laughs> definitely considering you were the one that was meant to be the calm person teaching them when yeah. without spoiling anything someone has a bit of a bit of a slip don't they so. yeah 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 the voice of calm and experience and really I was the least comfortable up there but it, it worked you can't tell. What was your favorite memory from that shoot? Because the surroundings it's set in are just absolutely stunning. Well, I did like the landscape that we shot and all, all the landscapes we were in. And it changed a lot. It was ambitious as a schedule for an independent movie. First of all, you have little kids who have limited working hours, but we also had to move constantly from location to location. And some of them were hard to reach. You know, the ones that were in the forest or in the mountains. Yeah. Um, so many scenes. I mean, I don't want to re- ruin anything you see in the movie, but there's a lot of scenes that I really loved. I, I particularly like the, the early part where we actually live in the forest. It was great to be there. Like running through it and... Yeah, just being there, you know. And the couple of weeks before when we were doing that training period, I ended up staying out there. So I'd be by myself there at night. Okay. And, you know, because I was working on the garden and other things and just trying to make it feel real, like a real home. Yeah. Because it was important to the director, it was important to all of us that you really believe these people could live that sure. way. And then that way it contrasts more when they leave the forest and deal with the so-called civilized society it's it's funnier mm-hmm. and sometimes more uh, thought-provoking it's more shocking when you see their family model yeah. in contrast with other people's absolutely i rewatched the road last night mm. after quite a while and it made me sort of laugh how the father won't let his son touch the alcohol there but he quite freely passes it around to a children around the table <laughs> and true. It I hadn't thought of that. how do you think ben would fare on the road I think he'd do well. Yeah. He'd, he's actually probably, be, he's better equipped than the character in, in The Road, because the character in The Road isn't, he's someone who obviously lives in a suburban setting before yeah. the sort before of end well. of the world, you know, happens. And in terms of living off the land and making shelters and all those sorts of things, I think Ben is much better equipped for that. Yeah. Do you think he'd draw the line at cannibalism, though? Um, not sure. No, I'm not sure. I mean, I think if he found somebody who's fresh 
actually dead. I don't think he'd kill to eat, but I think he wouldn't waste a, a good there. meal if it was lying there on the side of the road. Absolutely. Well, the kids know how to skin. It's, oh, That's true. They've got the skills. They could. It's so refreshing to see a film that is primarily free of screens because iPads, iPhones, they are everywhere. Oh, yeah. They're changing how we consume movies now as well. Well, that's true. Now, however, a film that you recently produced and starred in was shot on 35mm, right? Which is something that is so rare nowadays. Mm-hmm. So does the kind of quote-unquote Netflix era scare you? Are you worried about the future of film or does that kind of excite you? People will always make movies and people will always watch movies. Mm-hmm. The length of movies, the genres, the way they're shot may change, but people will always watch them and be interested in them, I think, because they incorporate so many artistic ways of expressing yourself. Yeah. You know, it's music, it's dance, it's movement, it's fashion, sometimes it's poetry, uh, obviously it's photography. But yeah, I'm, I guess suppose you can call me old-fashioned, but I really feel like a movie, for it to really be a movie, needs to be seen by people who pay money yeah. to go in, however little money that might be, to go into a dark room and watch uh, on screen a movie of their own free will, sure. sitting there with strangers. There's something about that ritual, about that detachment from your iPad or your home TV screen that's quite different. Yeah. As, a, as a movie-going experience, I love that experience, and I feel movies should at least be seen that way at first, and then they can be seen in all kinds of ways. But I, I know that it doesn't matter what I say about that. It's, it is changing very fast. I'm, I'm certainly extremely happy that Captain Fantastic is being shown on movie screens yeah. and that people are enjoying it a lot. Some movies can probably handle being seen on a smaller screen with interruptions, you know, better than others. I think Captain Fantastic is such an immersive experience. Definitely. Uh, and it is beautifully shot. To be in there, in this environment, off the grid with his family and really feel like you're there, I think it's much better on a, on a big screen. So I'm glad it's, it's being shown in movie houses. Talking of How Her, uh, it's a film that you produced and you've obviously produced a few more films. Do you have any wish to direct? Is that something that you are interested in at all or are you quite happy to stay in front of the camera? I've written a couple of scripts. Yeah. And I have interest from someone to finance one of them. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping I can perhaps do that next year. Can you elaborate at all or is that strictly secret? I don't want to jinx it. It's It's not at all like Captain Fantastic but it is a family drama, I guess. Okay. Captain Fantastic might sound like a superhero film to many people. I'm sure you've heard that so many times, but it absolutely isn't. Are the Marvel and DC worlds one that interests you at all? Yeah, and I know a lot of your readers are really interested in those. Sometimes they're made well. I mean, understandably, when a movie costs hundreds of millions of pounds or euros or dollars to make, there people are going to be there are going to be many more cooks in the kitchen in sure. terms of producers and people, you know, having opinions of how the script should be who should be cast and you know all that and you tend to you know people want to recoup that investment so understandably they tell stories that you've generally speaking seen before put them in a different time period uh, change the costumes uh, update exactly the same stories in some cases and most of the time it's not very original it doesn't leave you a lot to talk about afterwards it's not like with Captain Fantastic where you can debate the movie and and have a lot of fun talking about it and go see it again and then see more things in it. It is what it is with with most of those sort of comic book movies. But obviously there are people that can make huge budget comic book movies or fantasy 
fantasy movies like Lord of the Rings, like some of the movies Christopher Nolan has made, where there can be original thinking yeah. and, and good acting and thought-provoking storytelling. That, that can happen. It can be done. It's, it's a little harder, I think, though, because there's so many chefs in the kitchen yeah. and, and people are so cautious about veering off into completely new territory storytelling-wise. I'm trying to imagine what a Cronenberg Marvel film might look like. He'd probably make <laughs> a great one. He'd probably make a fantastic uh, comic book movie if he wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, besides Cronenberg, you've worked with such a huge range of directors, you know, Ridley and Tony Scott, Jane Campion, Brandon Palmer, just for starters. Do you have a mental bucket list of sort of other directors that you would like to work for? I don't. I don't have plans uh, about directors, <clears throat> stories, characters, or anything like that. And, and I don't... Um, I don't try to do one you know there's a term there's a saying that people use sometimes in the movie business where they say well I'm going to do one for them and one yeah. for me meaning you do some big budget movie and then you do an independent movie to keep your I guess your price up or mm-hmm. your your visibility so that you can then help get small movies made I've never approached it that way I just read scripts regardless of where they're from what the budget is and I, the first thing I ask myself is this a story I'd want to go see is this yeah. you know in the movie theater and if it is then is it a character I assuming it's offered to me um, is it a character I think I could do justice to you know that I could help tell this story yeah that's all I, I look at well Captain Fantastic is something that everyone should see in movie theaters we love it and so nice to talk thanks to you thanks for your time thank you very much thank Appreciate you. it okay that was Figo Mortensen uh, we'll be talking about Captain Fantastic uh, later on in the review section for it is now time for the review section we're going to kick off with the week's big release and by big I mean in terms of budget because it didn't do very well in the States. And it's not that good, is it? Ben-Hur. 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 Oh, dear, Ben-Hur. Oh, Ben-Hur. Um, yeah, Ben-Hur, it's uh, a well-known story. Uh, an oft-filmed story. This is mm. the sixth version, I think. Yep. Two silent most, versions. One of the most famous stories ever, you could say. Um, yeah. yeah, the famous version, the one that won all the Oscars. That's yep. one of the previous versions. There's a, an animated version, there's a miniseries, and now there's this new one. And, well, the story is Ben-Hur bores around uh, <laughs> Jerusalem being bland and hateful. And um, <laughs> That's what it says in the log line. <laughs> that's his, how they pitched it. Uh, his uh, adopted brother, uh, who doesn't have a very nice uh, life, really, like he's not really meant to feel part of the family. He goes off and makes something of himself, mm-hmm. then comes back to Jerusalem a few years later after being in the army and you know, you know, seeing some shit, man, <laughs> and says to Ben Hur, Ben Hur, like Pontius Pilate's coming to Jerusalem. Can you please? please, you know, like, help me out here, and if there are any zealots you know about, can you, like, tell me about them? And Ben's like, hmm, I could help you, but I'm probably not really going to in any meaningful way. Uh, And in fact, he's actually harbouring a zealot, um, nursing him back to health, and that zealot takes a pop at Pontius Pilate from the house of the the Ben-Hurs. And... OMG. Yeah, and then Masala, the brother, is like, well, I've got to do something about this this is i asked you to help me you didn't help me you are actually harboring a zealot i'm gonna to have to uh arrest you and make you a slave huh. and uh that's then that cues off his big four-year quest for revenge which um eventually culminates in a big chariot race the chariot race now the this famous is chariot race yeah because uh, this is directed by uh, Timur Bagmanbetov it is indeed uh, director of the of Nightwatch and Wanted a film I still enjoyed this day and then the absolutely dreadful Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter 
uh, is this this seems <clears throat> more in keeping with that quality wise uh, yeah I mean this the, one of the very real problems is that um, it's very hard to um, sympathise or even like Ben Hur for a huge amount of it, and you, like you know, you have to think he is the the person to support, and that his brother Masala is the person, you know, to boo and hiss. And it's very difficult to to come to that conclusion if you're watching it. Yeah. I mean, so much of the film is um, so uh, poorly conceived, really, and um, from you know, Morgan Freeman has a line which is you know. Well, you can't fight them on the streets, but there is somewhere you can fight them. The circus. And he means the chariot racing uh, arena, but of course, that's not how it plays in the moment. In the moment, it plays like, you know, <laughs> elephants riding unicycles. And yeah, yeah, and then it just. It's a difficult film to love. It's. <laughs> um, a difficult film to even get very excited about uh even when you get to the big action sequence it's been done so much better elsewhere in the uh the famous ben hur which was you know a real chariot race to all sense of purpose not one you know yeah, well, coated with died yeah coated yeah. with cgi and you know it, f- it felt real and then you know the phantom menace had a pod race which was mm. you know very much inspired by the chariot race and that at least had some uh drama in it you knew who the people were who you know the the bad guys the good guys the, who was fighting against each other you had some sense of drama but in this masala and ben hur are kept apart for so long he's ben hur's at the back and <clears throat> masala's at the front and it takes so long for them to actually get so they're actually fighting with each other like neck and neck that that bit of this 10 minute sequence is over in a flash and you know it's really hard to just engage with it overall uh, I didn't really like Ben-Hur very much no I'm getting I'm getting that <laughs> What about the performances, though? I mean, you have Toby Kebbell, who's also... I always think he's very, very good. I think he, he's he been pigeonholed by Hollywood, I think, to becoming a bad guy uh, in movies and I think there's more to him than that, to be honest. But to be fair, like he is uh, as masala he is someone who like you could you can start to sympathize with masala in this version and that's never really been the case before i don't think in any ben well let's be fair i've seen one other ben i've not I've, <laughs> I've not seen the animation i've not seen the silent versions but you know you don't sympathize with masala in the uh, charlton heston version but you you do in this one because you know he seems to be you know a, a put upon guy who went away and tried to make something himself and then comes back and is forced into this terrible position by the fact that you know ben hur's a dick and then it's and then it's so it's very it's very easy to sympathize with him and toby kebbell is you know a a likable actor Whereas Ben Hur is played in this film not by Charlton Heston but by Jack Houston, one letter out, but yeah. not quite the same. Um, I mean, Chuck Heston, one of the greats, full charisma, full of you know that I've talked about it in the podcast before, like great fifties leading man swagger where you're sucking your stomach in because you can't be arsed to go down the gym, that sort of thing. Whereas Jack Houston, you know, I don't know, he's a good actor, good looking guy, but is he Chuck Heston? I mean. The charisma that you talk about is 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 not present mm. in 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 Jack's performance here. Yeah, I'd hate to say that. I'd hate to completely <clears throat> write off his entire past career and future career based on this one uh, role. 
He's been very good in other things like Boardwalk Empire and here he is uh, insanely bland mm. and um, yeah and you do not root for him particularly you're like well well you got what's coming to you it's quite short isn't it this one because they've traditionally been films that stretch across bank holidays quite comfortably it's two hours this one's quite a pithy quite a it's, it's, it's short com- compared with the, yeah. the Heston version but yeah. um, I mean it has been told in 12 minutes the first silent one is about 12 minutes long I think you're sort of leading Benholologist Benholologist I, I basically looked them all up before I went to see it. <laughs> um, so, Houston, we have a problem. It Ben hurts. Mm. Yes. Okay. Two stars. Two stars. Two stars for Ben Hur. Uh, which is not good. Not in, a recommendation. In a, week, in a week filled with good films. Yes. Good films. And one uh, Phil's going to talk about. Phil loves this movie. Yeah. Phil would marry this movie if he could. Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water. I would marry this movie. Yeah? Yeah, I really like this movie. Tell us I mean, about listen, I love it. Westerns, and yeah. this, this certainly is, you know, it straddles the kind of, the, the crime thriller heist movie and the Western genres um, really elegantly. And uh, uh, David McKenzie, if you've seen Startup, the Jack O'Connell, Ben Mendelsohn prison drama, you know that he's got a really good handle on, 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 on character um, and uh, interior work here. This is much more of an exterior film. It's set. It's set in. It's set in the sort of the dusty. I think it's Texas. Uh, the, the fallout of the of the financial crisis is is kind of afflicting the landscape, and that's something that's that's you you're led into very early on uh, in a subtle way. As you see uh, this car rolling into a bank car park early in the morning, out pops Ben Foster and. Chris Pine in Balaclavas to knock off the bank and it turns out that they are basically the the banks themselves are after them are after their property um and uh they've got a certain amount of time to raise the capital to pay off the the outstanding mortgage payments before they lose it um what you find out quite quickly is that the land that they own is actually a gold mine of oil so an oil mine really more than a gold mine but um they have this clever plan where they're going to just take the till money they're not going to go big into the vaults if you've seen any heist movies before you know that once you go into the vaults bad things invariably happen mm-hmm. um, so they're just going in and out taking small denomination notes and doing basically a road trip around the area um, in hot pursuit Jill Birmingham and Jeff Bridges Jeff Bridges is that kind of like cop on the verge of retirement it's a bit of a trope but he brings something fresh to it he is kind of pleased with himself in this film in a really lovely Jeff Bridges-y way and Jill Birmingham they have great chemistry the two of them so it's like double two-hander this the two brothers and the two cops in pursuit um and mackenzie's just done a great job it's scripted by taylor sheridan who did sicario and it's got great great dialogue and they really fizz off each other and if you love those kind of western because i think the west is a great kind of crucible for america as it is as it was and now as it is you know the post-vietnam mm-hmm, era you had mm-hmm. mccabe and mrs miller which is a touch point for this one a real sort of sense of weariness um and cynicism creeping in and this has that kind of like post-recession vibe too um it reminded me a little bit of like uh the last picture show hard those kind of films the misfits that kind of era of dusty american life it's got great set pieces great performances i thought chris pine was for me the surprise mvp Mm-hmm. Um, thought he was absolutely terrific in this film. You see range that I haven't seen before from him, stuff that I didn't know he was capable of. Uh, ben Foster does what you'd expect. Such as? Juggling? He does a bit of juggling. Mm-hmm. Unicycle? Um, he doesn't unicycle. Okay. No. 
Um, but he's funny and he carries and he's charismatic and he's quietly quite menacing. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've seen that before from him. A brooding menace. <laughs> Maybe one or two films, but <laughs> not the juggling. Not the juggling. You give me that. I'll give you. Um, so we're giving it four stars, and Great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I've been looking forward to seeing this film for a long time, and I would recommend it heartily if you like. Even if you don't look, don't overstress the western side of things. How Cohen-esque is it? Because it, it yeah. feels uh, in the same yeah ballpark as No Country for Old Men. Yeah, there's definite parallels. I would say um, you have you have this this Jeff Bridges character who's quite redolent of the Tommy Lee Jones character they're in a similar position sort of slightly half-heartedly in pursuit um it's not got the kind of the dark seam of the coen brothers it it doesn't have a anton sugar it doesn't have that no look it it does have stakes and the Mm -hmm. stakes laid out early on um and the stakes as it turns out are pretty profound but it doesn't have the the kind of i mean no i in some ways i preferred it to no country for old man and that's a bold statement Whoa. It, it, no Country for Men, I think, has probably more layers that you peel off the more times you watch it. But this film is just very, very accessible, very fun, thrilling at times, very well paced and beautifully shot. And um, it's all underpinned by a really fantastic Taylor Sheridan screenplay. Um, he's a very talented, very talented writer, as anyone who's seen Sicario knows. Um, yeah, there are parallels. They make a great double bill. Um, but the Coens are interested in their own thing and I think Mackenzie's interests are slightly different P- perhaps a little bit more grounded in in America as, as it is now whereas I think maybe with No Country it's more of a it, you know it, the Coens love that idea of the universe playing games with their characters and, and this doesn't quite have that but it certainly has you know a real sort of catch-22 conundrum at its heart which I think will speak to a lot of people um, you know in times of struggle and uh, it, it feels like a very current film as well as one that's pretty timeless. So I would recommend it heartily, as I say, four stars. Four stars. Sounds like you go five. I, I wouldn't... Close. Go on, I, Phil, you, Go on, the go juggling on. swings it. No, four stars. It's, no, I, I, I look, I mean, five for me is it's not quite there, but it's pretty close. Ah. Um, so you wouldn't marry it, but you would... I wouldn't certainly. marry it, but I, we, we would, I would swipe left or right. <laughs> I don't know. No, I, anyway, I'd see it again. Okay. Let's <laughs> again. I take it out. I'll have a second, maybe I take third it in Nando's, and I would allow it at least one side. Probably two. No, I, well, I'm just sound awful. What an awful man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best I can do on a date. Um, anyway. Um, got a couple more movies to get through because it's a hell of a week. Um, next up is Kubo and the Two Strings, which is the latest movie from Leica, who are the American stop-motion animation masters not to be confused with Ardman they're the guys behind Coraline and most recently The Box Trolls Johnny yeah uh, Kubo and the Two Strings uh, we really loved this it's about a boy Kubo and uh, he is sort of a street performer in this uh, small village and but has to get home before night uh, every day. And it uh, becomes clear why the one time he stays out, and that's because the, his, uh, his ants appear, and his ants are be, have been sent by his evil grandfather, the Moon King, uh, <laughs> to steal his eyes. And uh, it's a, a very chilling moment when his uh, ants come. They are, for what you know to be puppets, mm. they are too... Chilling puppets. <laughs> well, I thought Carline was pretty scary. Yeah, so it was um, box trolls at times. They have the you know this this sort of dark edge to their their work. Yeah. Anyway, so the, 
him staying out uh, after dark uh, triggers this um, this quest. Uh, so the appearance of the ants this uh, triggers a, a showdown, and uh, his mother saves him, and he but he is left uh, without her with just a well a, a monkey for companionship. It used to be a. Uh, a wooden monkey toy that he had in the cave with him as a mm. boy, and now it's a talking monkey who is here on his quest, and his quest is to find three pieces of a magical suit of armour, which he then is going to use to fight the Moon King and win. And on the way, he also meets a giant beetle, uh, played by Matthew McConaughey, who's very funny. Great. And they go off on this quest together. And um, yeah, it's a really, really lovely film. It's, it's beautifully animated, and I think the one thing that really struck me was just the movement of Kubo's hair. I was, I, I was captivated by this. Honestly, <laughs> just, just sit there and just watch his hair move for an hour and a half, and you will be just as happy as you can be. <laughs> it is a lovely thing. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's incredibly effective. It has uh, a number of. Uh, very spooky moments, the moments when the ants first appear, mm-hmm. uh, already mentioned. Uh, but there's also this um, underwater sequence with these uh, giant eyes, which is uh, incredibly uh, odd and kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. Just giant eyes, man. Yeah, Under I know. Water. It's pretty crazy. And these have a, a hypnotic effect on Kubo, and he is like dragged towards them. And you know, and, and unless he's saved, presumably towards his death. Mm. But of course, you know, it's a kids' film as well as an adults' film, and this is um, this doesn't that doesn't happen. <laughs> he doesn't. The, the eyes don't get him. <laughs> the eyes don't get him. I I don't know what it is with like her in the eyes thing because Coraline had that as well, didn't it? The mum, the other mum wanted... With the buttons. To replace her eyes with buttons. Yeah. And this has got, basically, the plot Stealing is someone eyes. trying to remove someone's eyeballs, um, which is quite terrifying on a profound level. Yeah. And you've got the giant underwater eyes that you've talked about. But but I, I think... Um, I, I love their films. I think that the stop-motion animation is just breathtaking. You know, you see the... Because the, the, one of the other things Kuba does is he creates origami. He has a sort of magic gift doesn't he You can create origami yeah. and make and the origami sort of is animated itself to become to tell stories and it's uh it's sort of an animation within the animation and it's i literally just you know that dumb sort of goofy look you have in your face when you're just totally captivated by something and mm. and it felt like that especially in the first sort of half an hour and it's setting the yeah. story up it's just breathtaking the sort of imagination and uh, as a film about telling stories as well, I thought it was particularly, particularly brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's startling to look at. And actually, uh, if you stick around for the credits, mm. there's uh, almost a behind-the-scenes behind uh, sequence of how they uh, did one of the uh, action sequences, which yeah. is a fight they have with a giant um, skeleton. Um, yes. where there's a sword stuck in its head and they uh, have to retrieve it. Uh, and you see how they did it, and it's it's just ju- it's, it's actually uh, you know uh, quite a big skeleton in real life. It's not it's not small like you mm. like you see Wallace and Gromit being. It's a big thing, and there are people you know moving around it and working and moving it, and um, just the craft that goes into it. The giant skeleton is reminding me a little bit of Harryhausen, the Ray Harryhausen mm. um, stuff, and it has lots of Japanese sort of folk story elements to it the samurai the idea of the samurai and the ronin and the and the, mm. the scarab beetle plays that kind of role of the guy that wants to return to his samurai glory mm. um 
felt that the the the, the quest part itself was just a touch truncated like it needed a bit more well uh, so we, this is what we were talking about beforehand and this, this was my only real problem with the film and i wonder if like if this had been i suppose better developed then maybe it would have gone the, the full five um but yeah it didn't really feel that they were following clues to find this um treasure they they stumble upon this first um piece of the arm which is actually the, the sword right mm, yeah uh, they just stumble upon it and then they go across a big lake and that happens to be where the next one is there doesn't seem to be any sort of uh national treasure style this is the clue and this is how to find the next bit and then there's a real something that they're following it just seems mm. that they're just like oh oh, oh. <laughs> uh so that this that that was my the one quibble. yeah quib yeah, yeah quibble with it but uh, otherwise, it's a it's a it's a really lovely film. I'm I was captivated by it. Fantastic, and uh, four stars in for Kubo and the Two Strings. It's a hell of a week this week. Um, interesting fact about Travis Knight, who's the director of uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, and he's the CEO of Leica, and he's the owner of Leica, and he's just a you know the, the grand pooba of American stop motion animation. Um, he is the son of the co-founder of Nike, Phil Knight, right. and he is, shall we say. Fairly wealthy. Uh, so it's interesting that he chooses, you know, a lot of rich kids flounce around the world and they party on a on someone else's dime and they just have a great time. And this guy, incredibly talented, incredibly focused, and he is keeping a, an art form that not many people really gravitate towards these days. He's keeping no. it alive, along with, you know, obviously Arpen over here and, uh, and more power to him, I say. I say too. More power to those millionaires. Um, right, we don't have a lot of time left because um, this podcast, we recorded on a Thursday, usually goes up on a Friday because of unavailability of editors, shall we say. Tomorrow, Friday, we have to get the podcast up today, I've been told. Why don't so, we say in, 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 because of incredible efficiency and speed? No. And skill. We've got it up early. No. No? No. Depends how you spin it, really, doesn't it? Yeah. I just don't think anyone will believe us. No. That's true. Also because, you know, you know the thing with it, the, yeah. it goes up on Friday everyone knows that's when it goes up so we have to explain why we're putting it up a day early okay. so there we go so we don't have a lot of time but there's uh, three other films worthy of your attention this week Phil's going to talk uh, about two of them Super Anthropoid yeah. and um, Captain Fantastic yep. as we talked about Figure Mortensen was on the, yep. on the show yeah but um, pretty different propositions both very very good uh, Captain Fantastic is uh, Viggo Mortensen um, and his wife um, Viggo Mortensen leads his kids who presumably haven't seen the road into the wilderness with him and uh, unfortunately tragedy strikes the family um, the mum dies um, and it's about sort of picking up the pieces and there's a road trip element to it it's um, it's a it's a lovely watch beautifully acted across the board um, we've given it four stars um, there's so much to get your teeth into the cinemas this week and that this would definitely be up there with, mm. with any of them mm. um, as a sort of slice of American indie um, bucolia and the second one is completely different to that it's Anthropoid mm -hmm. which um, as you might imagine is is a sci-fi monster movie isn't is actually a World War 2 thriller starring Killian Murphy and Jamie Dornan as a couple of Czech paratroopers or Czech special forces or Czech uh, assassins, effectively sent in by the by the British to assassinate Reinhard Heydrich, who someone memorably be described as the third most senior Nazi dickhead um, during the <laughs> Second World War. Um, and uh, he, I mean, it's an astonishing story. It's been told before 
on the big screen, um, I think in the 70s, uh, Operation Daybreak. Um, and it's being told again in a film called HHHH, which is in production still. So it's one of those weird ones where there are two at the same time about the same subject. But this one's more of a straight kind of assassination thriller, which is interested in these two guys, the re- these real people, real heroes who had to, you know, they formed attachments with, with women uh, who were sort of initially their cover and then they, they blossom into more of a romance and uh, as they prepare and, 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 and in Jamie Dornan's character's case they overcome their sort of terror of, of the act of assassinating this mm. incredibly senior guy so when the assassination attempt comes that's sort of halfway through the film it's quite sedate up to that point it sort of lays the groundwork for a very sort of potent final third I would say after the assassination it, it kind of escalates into more of a Saving Private Ryan style kind of shootout I guess it's a bit sort of um, Butch casting the Sundance because what they actually did was hold themselves up in a church um, and the Nazis uh, found them and it kicked off from there so the film depicts all of that doesn't show much of the training prior to, it doesn't it starts with them parachuting in so you don't see a lot of what came before you pick up the characters as you go um, it's a four star film for us mm-hmm. um Gripping tension. It's tense, yeah. Gripping tension. I, I, you could, yeah. It's for me. It was slightly on the lower end of the four star spectrum, but <gasps> but but very watchable. And, and yeah. certainly, you come out feeling feeling, you know, in the same way that you felt with Pri- Private Ryan, the, the final third of Private Ryan, or maybe even the beginning of that film. You have that sort of like it's quite dis, dis it's quite disorientating. It's quite it's quite a sort of visceral experience, um, and it's a good one. Um, and the two of them are very, very good mm-hmm. together. Killian Murphy and Jamie Dornan have have a. Have a the, I'm not sure about the sort of the Czech accents in English. I don't. I don't as a device, I don't know if that's not a bit distracting. Um, I wouldn't mind if they all just spoke in English accents personally, if that's the way they want to go down. But you know, it's probably a minor quibble. Um, it's shot by Sean Ellis, who made Metro Manila, uh, which is highly acclaimed film shot in the Philippines in 2013 and, and he's clearly a talented guy he's been trying to make this one for a long time and here it is this weekend four stars there we go imagine if it asked you to talk about that film at length oh shit I really went on a bit didn't I <laughs> sorry no no that's fine, yeah, that's fine. I was supposed to be a recap should I do my should I do like a five second recap instead yeah go on so you're going to talk about it for even longer then, no I'm doing this as well Anthropoid it's a real life war, war story about assassination run out of Hydric starring Sean Ellis so directed by Sean Ellis and, and starring Gillian Murphy and Jamie Dornan and they're really good and it's four stars and go and see it if you haven't seen the other films that are out this week they're also good okay um, which also includes Don't Breathe the horror film from Fede Alvarez the director of the Evil Dead remake this one's a home invasion thriller where three people rob a house belonging to Stephen Lang, who is a blind man. They think he's an easy target. Turns out he is absolutely anything but. Uh, and it's full of tension, full of thrills, full of spills. Four stars for that one. Very interesting, controversial ending, shall we say. Ooh. Mm. Ooh. So many stars mm. this week. Mm. So many stars. So many stars and so many films that we can't really talk about in depth. But there we go. Four stars for Don't Breathe. Four stars for everything except for poor old Ben-Hur. And that is it. For this week's Empire Podcast, uh, sponsored by American Airlines. Don't forget tickets are on sale for Empire Live, 23rd to the 25th of September, including the live podcast, although I believe that may be sold out. But you never know. People will give returns and stuff. But uh, yeah, that's a DO2 London. Tickets are on sale now, empirelive.com. All very, very exciting. Uh, Join us next week, of course, for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by, as I said earlier, Colin Firth, star of Bridget Jones' Baby, and Sam Neill. He's back in the booth. Do you see? Do you see? Uh, he's star, of course, of Hunt for the Wilder People. It's going to be very, very exciting. What a lineup that is. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Johnny. 
Goodbye. It's goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. Uh, thanks, of course, to Noel Clark for joining us through most of the podcast. That was a lot of fun. And it's goodbye from me. Uh, one last note. Helen wasn't on the podcast this week, of course. Um, her grandmother, Phoebe O'Hara, passed away this week. Uh, so our thoughts are with Helen. I'm sure your thoughts are with her as well. Uh, and we're dedicating this podcast to the memory of her grandmother. Uh, thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>